Good morning, One Church. Y'all having a good morning so far? Fantastic. My name is Chris. I'm one of our teaching pastors. And uh, we've been going through this series called Momentum, where we've been looking at the life of Moses. How many of y'all have enjoyed this series? Fantastic. Awesome. You know, um, all good things must come to an end. Uh, So today, we're ending this series of Momentum on the life of Moses. But it's kind of awkward because we're starting a new series today as well. On the book of Joshua. So uh, this is kind of the ending of one thing and the beginning of another. And uh, uh, it's really, really cool. One of the things we're going to be seeing today is that what made Moses such a good leader is that Moses was intentional about replacing himself. That even long after he was dead and pushing up daisies, Moses' influence and legacy went on beyond him, beyond the grave. And that's because he chose to replace himself with a guy named Joshua. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in three main books today. We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, the last chapter of Deuteronomy, and then we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. By the way, the last chapter of Deuteronomy and Joshua chapter 1 are like probably side by side in your Bibles. So if you want to go ahead and start turning there, that's where we're going to be at today. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5, we read this. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. I don't know how old you are, but the older I get, I wish that could be said of me, that my eyesight was clear and I was as strong as ever. You know, we realize and we read uh, in the book of Numbers that the reason why Moses did not enter into the promised land was because Moses had an anger problem. God told Moses to do something very specific. God says, I want you to speak to this rock, and when you do, water is going to come forth from this rock, and the two million Israelites are going to be able to drink in this desert wasteland. Well, Moses was about tired and ticked with God's people because all they did was complain. Now, how many of y'all have children? You know what I'm saying, don't you? Are we there yet? I mean, come on. I mean, hello. So he got so angry, he took the staff and he went pop and he struck the rock and water gushed out. And God said, because you have not got this anger problem under control, you are not going to be able to enter into God's promised land. Now, if you remember how, the, how Moses kind of started this whole thing, we looked at his life. He had an anger problem because he killed a, 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 an Egyptian when he was 40 years old. And now when he's 120, he dies because we realize that there are are consequences to our sin. And I don't know if you have anger problems. I drive. I have an anger problem. You know what I'm saying? Um, If somebody cuts me off, I want to throw them the California wave. Y'all know what that is? I ain't going to show it to you, all right? So, but Moses... Moses had been the leader of God's people, the Israelites. And by the way, there are 2 million Israelites. And the only person that they've kind of followed up to this point is a guy by the name of Moses. Uh, They've followed him. He's done all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders. He had this staff that he would throw down and it would become a snake. He had the staff that he would part the Red Sea and he would touch the, the Nile and it would turn to blood. I mean, this was a guy whom they had all of their hopes, all of their dreams. I mean, this was a guy, they were, they were just following hard after Moses. 
In fact, it says about Moses that Moses spoke to God face to face like a person speaks to a friend. I mean, this was the guy who mediated between them and God. When they thought of God, they immediately thought of Moses. And now this same guy is dead. And with his death, all of their hopes, all of their dreams... Everything is dead alongside of it. Moses is gone, and so is a chunk of, the, of, the, of, of these people's hopes. Look at what it says in verse 8 and 9. The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. And look at those next two words. Now Joshua. And this is where we're going to see Joshua enter into the story. Now notice, before Joshua steps on the scene, before something is birthed and something new comes to life, something old has to die. We see that Moses dies. And both Moses and Joshua represent two different paradigms of leadership. Two different directions. And in order for the Israelites to go over and step into the land that God had promised them, What had to die was Moses. Moses had to die so that Joshua could take leadership and be able to lead them into the promised land. Now, it says they mourned for 30 days. Now, that just kind of seems kind of, we kind of gloss over that and move forward. But let me just say this. That the customary time of mourning in the the Jewish mindset was seven days. So someone passed, passed away, you could mourn for seven days, and then after that, you would move on. But here... We see that they mourned for 30 days because Moses' death was no ordinary event. Mourning this guy, he was no ordinary man because, again, all of their hopes, all of their dreams was based upon this guy by the name of Moses. Major losses take time to get over. And them losing Moses was a major loss. Some of you know that. Some of you, you've lost a loved one, and it's taking you a while to get over. And some of your friends or some of your other family members just saying, why don't you just you know, build a bridge and get over it, right? Well, it's not that easy. Some of you, you're mourning the loss of a broken marriage or a busted up relationship. And it's just difficult. And you know what? It's okay for you to mourn. It's okay for you to mourn even longer than what everybody else thinks that you should mourn. But you know what? Eventually, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to dry your tears and you're going to have to move. And that's exactly what Joshua did with the two million Israelites. Sometimes if we're going to go into the promises that God has for us, sometimes good things have to die so that others can live. You know, we've been talking in this series on momentum, about gaining spiritual momentum and and getting unstuck. And we talked a few weeks ago that, you know, that means we're going to have to cut off some sin, some things that we know that we shouldn't be doing that immediately holds us back. But sometimes God asks us, yeah, to get rid of sin, of course, but sometimes he asks us to get rid of even some good things, maybe some temporary things in our lives, things that worked yesterday but are not going to help you today get to where God wants you to be tomorrow. Sometimes some of our good dreams have to die so that God's dream can flourish in us. And I don't know how that works in your life. Maybe it's comfort, maybe it's a tradition. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a habits, maybe it's this kind of checkbox mentality when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, so many times we say, okay, I've spent time with him, check. 
But God wants more than just to, for you to just fill the checkbox. He wants to be your life. In fact, Paul says, I want you to pray without ceasing. Y'all remember reading that? All right. Very, very important. Sometimes it may be that God is showing you that you're depending too much on one individual. That you're putting too much confidence in another person along your journey. And God removes that person so that you can start you can start walking. It reminds me of my son, all of my sons, Bing. I have three boys, Walt, Jed, and Bing. A 13-year-old, y'all pray for me, um, a 7-year-old, and I got a 4-year-old. And I totally remember when all of them started walking. You know, they would kind of, you know, they would have the shaky knees, and, you know, they would hold on, and they would start letting go. And it's like, okay, come here. And bam, they would fall down, and I'd pick them up, wipe the snot off, and, you know. And they, but they would just, and they would start letting go, and they would start walking. And that's what many times God wants us to do. He wants us to start walking towards him. But many times, in order for that to happen, we have to let go of the common things, some of the things that we've gotten used to, and we've got to start putting our faith and trust in God. And that's exactly what the Israelites did when Moses is off the scene and Joshua shows up. In fact, this is what it says in verse 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, by the way, his dad it was the name Nun. That's not like a person with like a, a hat or something. Um, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of what? Full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him. Now the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses dies, and Joshua, this guy who's been in Moses' shadow for the past 40 years, the number two man to Moses... Moses dies, and he, he comes up, and he shows up, and he starts leading God's people. Moses replaced himself with Joshua. And I want to talk a little bit about what it means to replace yourself. Replace yourself. We believe so much in replacing ourselves here at One Church that this is one of our core values. Let me define it real quick, and then I'll talk a little bit about it. Replacing yourself is taking the responsibility for what you do, and handing it off to someone else so that they not only do what you do, but they own what you have owned. Let me just say this. Do you know everybody's going to be replaced? You may be in a job right now, okay? And you're like a linchpin of this job. And you're like, man, they could never, ever get along without you. They will. You hear what I'm saying? Some of you, you're in a ministry right now. And you're like, man, I am so important. They can never, ever get along without me. You are not indispensable. Moses was not indispensable to God's plan. And let me give you just a heads up in neon lights. Neither are you and neither am I. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God doesn't need you. Go ahead, do it. And let me tell you, God doesn't need you, but he wants to use you. Y'all hear what I'm saying? God doesn't need you for his plans to take place, but he would love to use you. It's like this. God told this one prophet by the name of Jonah. And by the way, if you've not grown up in church or you don't know a lot about the Bible, I would encourage you to read about him in his life. He's written a book by the name of Jonah. All right. When you read the book of Jonah, four chapters, God tells Jonah, I want you to do something. I want you to go and tell somebody about me, these Ninevites, if you would. And Jonah says, I ain't doing it. Now, if you know the end of the story, does Jonah end up telling the people of Nineveh about God? Yes, he does. You know what that tells me? God doesn't need you, 
But he will get his will done either with you or without you. Now, here's the thing. At the end of chapter 4, he, by, by that time, he's already told the people of Nineveh about God, but now he smells like fish vomit because he chose to run away from God. And that's kind of where we're at. We can either choose to follow hard after God and God's will is going to be done, or and we're going to be blessed for it, or we can choose God can tell us to do something. We're saying, I ain't doing that. And God's will is still going to be done, but you're going to smell like fish vomit. Thanks for coming to One Church, right? Let me tell you, all of us are going to be replaced because we're not indispensable. Moses was not indispensable in God's program, and neither am I, and neither are you. Let me tell you how this plays out practically in your work. When you go to work, and maybe you go to a cubicle, maybe you go on post, um, maybe your work is you are uh, you're discipling your children. You know what? There's going to be a time where you're going to be doing that job, but eventually you're not going to be doing that job anymore because you're going to be replaced. Whether you're going to be, you're going to be promoted and get a cubicle to a bigger office, or you're going to be demoted, you're going to be downsized. Uh, If you're in the army, you wear the rank now, but there's going to be one day that you're not going to be wearing that rank. And you may have been a, a, a first sergeant now, you may have been a captain now, but you're no longer that anymore. Because all of us will be replaced. You know, right now, I'm, I'm one of the pastors of one church. But there's going to be one day when I'm not going to be the pastor of one church. Why? Because I am not indispensable to this church or to God's program. God is indispensable. I am not. In fact, this is what it says, that, uh, that, that Jesus is the head of the church. You want to know who the senior pastor is of one church? It ain't Chris. It's Jesus. All right, because Jesus is the one who died for this church and I can be knocked over by a bus tomorrow and everything's will go. Everything will continue to go on and maybe even a little bit smoother. (laughs) All right. Let me tell you in your life, in your life, you are not indispensable to God's plan. Now, how this works, you know, so many churches, they always complain about not having volunteers. And one of the things, the reason why we put this in one of our core values is that we feel this. You know what? We could stand up on stage and say, hey, we need volunteers. I could, you know, say, you know, our two-year-old class right now, we just got word that they're staging a coup. All right? And um, they, it's now taken over by our two-year-olds. We need help. Now, when I say that, if I said that, by the way, everything's good. If you have a two-year-old, we're good to go, all right? At least I've been told that. Um, but, you know, that doesn't make you want to volunteer anymore, does it? Because you're like, man, they ain't got their stuff together, right? You see, that's not how we attract leaders. You see, how we attract leaders is not by one person on stage saying we need people, but it's everybody in the organization choosing to replace themselves with one person. With one person. Not one person trying to influence everybody, but one person influencing one person. That is what it means to replace yourself. And it happens in every area of our church. I lead a small group on Sunday nights. And when our small group started last August, I immediately, the first thing I was looking for is, who is going to be my replacement? Who is going to be my apprentice? Who's going to be the person that I can be able to hand this thing over to and everything is going to still run well? And let me tell you what's so important about replacing yourself. Some of you, your pushback is this. I, I don't know all there is to know about this, so I really can't teach somebody to do what I'm doing. But that's not what I'm saying. You see, your job is not to fill somebody else's cup of knowledge. Your job is to empty your cup into theirs. You see, going back to our two-year-olds, 
all of our, you know, I've had, I got a four-year-old now, but I did have a two-year-old who was in that environment. I totally trusted the teachers who were in there. And here's what I know about them. They know a lot, there, what there is to know about two years old, but they, they, but they don't know it all. They're not James Dobson. They're not Mr. Spock. I'm not Dr. Spock. Mr. Spock is the ear. Sorry. I apologize. We're coming back. My ADD moment. All right. So, um, but they, they don't know all there is to know about two-year-olds. But they, that, they're still great two-year-old teachers. So what they do is they pour into other people to allow them to be good two-year-old teachers. Some of y'all are in the military. Let me see your hands. All right. Cool. Y'all have heard this, and people have told me this. It's uh, left seat, right seat ride. Is that right? Okay, I, I, I screwed it up the first service. The whole premise of that is this. It's left seat, right seat ride. That means what you do is you're hanging out while somebody else is driving. And then after a while, the person who's driving gets out of the truck and lets you drive, and now they're the passenger. And then eventually, they let you have it and they get out of the car. That's what it means to replace yourself. And we want, in every area of our church, we want everybody to be replacing themselves with somebody. That's really, really important. Now, what's so amazing, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, Moses dies, and in Joshua chapter 1, he shows up on the scene, and guess what? It's like one little page turn, God doesn't miss a beach. Miss a beat, excuse me. He doesn't miss a beat. I'm wanting to go to the beach, just forgive me, all right? All right? Now, what makes a successful leader is that they think beyond themselves, and they choose to replace themselves. So here's our big idea today. Our big idea today is simply this. To leave a legacy, because that's what we're talking about, going beyond yourself, to leave a legacy, we must replace ourselves with faithful, available, and teachable people. To leave a legacy, something that goes beyond ourselves, because every day, all of us are going to be replaced, either by death or no longer going to be here. We are to replace ourselves with faithful, available, and teachable people. And let me tell you, we have to be intentional about this. It just doesn't happen. It just didn't happen with Moses. Moses approached Joshua. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy named Joshua. His name is significant, all right? You know, we um, uh, actually name kids today because of the way they sound, right? But in the Bible... Every name was significant, had a meaning. I'll give you a couple of names today. How many of y'all know somebody by the name of Logan? All right. The word Logan means hollow. All right. Just saying. Let me give you another one. All right. Um, what about Madison? How many of y'all know somebody named Madison? Our first child, if it was going to be a girl, we were going to name her Madison, and it was a boy. All right. Let me tell you what Madison means. It means son of Maud. Isn't that wonderful? Thanks for coming to one church. I guess I could have named you Madison, right? Or what about Olivia? How many of y'all know somebody known Olivia? That's such a gorgeous name, isn't it? Right? Let me tell you what that means. It means elf army. (laughs) Right? Honey, just look at her eyes. What do you want to name her? Olivia. Right? I think I saw that with the whole Wizard of Oz and the Munchkins. I think. Somewhere in there. All right? See, we named... We name kids today because of how they sound, but back in, in, in Old Testament times and even in New Testament times, they named people because it, the name had a meaning. Let me tell you, Joshua's original name was Hosea. Hosea, and it means deliverer. 
Hosea, his name means deliverer. Now, what's so cool is Moses ends up changing Hosea's name to Jehoshea, Yehovah, Jehovah, Jehoshea, which means God delivers. The reason why I think that's so huge is Moses was teaching Joshua who was going to be the delivering person. You know, if you think about this, who rescued the Israelites out of Egypt? It wasn't Moses, it was God, right? Who's going to deliver the the Israelites into the promised land? It wasn't going to be Hosea, it was going to be Joshua. God delivers. It's so important. Joshua needed to know who he was and who he wasn't. Let me tell you, that's huge. The fact that God is the one who delivers would be proved time and time again in the life of Joshua. All right, let's look at this first thing. First, he was available. He was available. Joshua was a military commander, but that's not where he started. He didn't start as a four-star general. All right. In fact, he started as Moses' number two guy. For 40 years, Joshua followed Moses, learning from Moses. That's so very important. And one of the things I, I, I get out of this is this, is what makes Joshua such a good leader is that he learned to be a good follower. You hear what I'm saying? Because I feel like we have a generation today, and that was my generation 10, 20 years ago. That we say, you know what, when are we going to be able to get the steering wheel of the car? And when can we start getting the keys and when can we start moving the church forward? But here's one of the things that I've had to learn. Is that what makes a good leader is somebody who can be a good follower. And I've had to learn that in my years of ministry experience. I've served in churches, very small churches, 30. I've served in a church of 6,000. I've served in, in traditional churches and contemporary churches. And let me tell you one of the things that I've learned. I remember when I was in this church in Virginia, um, there were 20 pastors on staff. It was a huge church. All right? And uh, I remember I, grow, I grew a goatee. All right? and, I, and the pastor called me into his office and says, you're going to have to shave that. I'm like, really? And what was, the reason why I said really is because there were five other pastors at that time, who either had beards or goatees or mustache. He says, you know, you're going to have to shave that. I don't like the way it looks on you. And I'm like, man, am I in the firm? Um, But you know what? I didn't think it was fair, and I told him so. I didn't think it was right. I told him so. But you know what I did? I shaved it. Because one of the things I've learned is even if I don't, even if I think it's a dumb rule, one of the things, if, I, if God is ever going to trust me to be a leader, then I have to learn to be a good follower. Let me say it this way. If you, we can't serve as authority if we're not willing to be under authority because all of us, we're under someone's authority. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, I am under someone's authority. You are under someone's authority. And if we're not willing to follow, we can never, ever be willing to lead. Let me show you the first time that Joshua's name is mentioned in the Bible. It's in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. And this is what it says. Exodus 17, 8. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded. Commanded Joshua was willing to be available and he was willing to serve. And there was something in this first time Joshua's name is mentioned. There was something, we don't know what it was, 
But Moses saw something in Joshua, a willingness to follow, a willingness to serve. Let me tell you, do you know that God, God is not searching for ability as much as he's searching for availability? Some of you, you're out there right now and you're thinking, you know what, I want to be used by God, but I can't do what you're doing, Chris. I'm scared to death of speaking in public. You know, uh, some of you, I, I, I want to be able to do something for God, but I don't know how to play the guitar. What can I do? Let me tell you, God's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. And let me tell you, this is, this is one of the things I've learned in my life, and it's replete through the Bible. The God would, is more readily able to use somebody who has no ability. I mean, no ability, but has made themselves available to God. Why? Because when God uses them, it's God who gets the glory and not that person. God is ready to use you as soon as you are ready to let him use you. And it's, it's, it's more than just speaking or playing. Let me tell you, it may be something as simple as you helping and serving somebody at the homeless at Mana Cafe. It may be you getting involved in working in a teen's life whether that be in a student ministry or another organization like Young Life or Youth with a Mission. It could be you involved in just being available and just being Jesus with skin on to somebody else. God is willing to use you as soon as you are letting, willing to let him use you. Now, Moses is fighting and Moses goes up, it says this on verse 13. Meanwhile, Moses and Aaron and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. All right. He, now, this is what's so cool. Joshua, he gets and he rallies all of these troops. He equips them and he leads them into battle. And he trusts God. And guess what? God makes them victorious. And those three sentences I just mentioned to you is a microcosm. It is, it is basically a picture of the entire book of Joshua. Joshua, he leads his men into battle. He trusts that God is going to give them the victory. And God shows up and gives them the victory. I love that. And that is a picture of who we are and what we see in Joshua. And here's what's so amazing. Joshua doesn't even get credit for this first battle. It was God who gets the credit because God is the one who gave him victory. Moses tells Joshua, get some guys, you go fight. And by the way, I'm going to get up on top of the hill. And I'm going to go pray and raise my hands. I mean, now think about this. You're an infantryman. (laughs) And your general just says, I want you to go and fight while I go pray. Um, Really? That's your plan? But that was the plan. And I think because that plan was a little far-fetched, but God worked and God did something amazing, Joshua learned something early on. That we do what we can do, and then God shows up and God does what only God can do. And really, the most indispensable part of this is not even us, it's God. It's praying. It's prayer. Let me tell you, I want to give you a couple of resources that I make available to you today. First is this book on Moses we're selling on our resource table. This is the last week. The second one is something that we just got this past week, and it's this book called The Circle Maker. By Mark Batterson. I have read this book now three times. It came out in December. And one of the things this book talks talks a lot about Joshua. But one of the things that you're going to read in here is a lot about prayer. And that God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. 
And I think Joshua learned that early on, that while he's down fighting, where it's really being fought is Moses praying. And God is giving the victory because he is willing to pray. I really would encourage you, if you're looking for a good book to read, this is a fantastic book. All right, let's keep on going. The second, the second characteristic of replacing ourselves, the first one's available. The second one is faithful. Faithful. Joshua was faithful. Joshua's faith was on display. And we looked at this story last week, Numbers 13 and 14. I'll give you just a quick uh, overview of that. Moses chooses 12 spies, and he says, I want you to go and spy out the land. So they do. Forty days pass, and the 12 spies come back. And 10 of the spies are going, dude, we cannot do this. These people, there are giants living there. And when, you, and when we look at them and we compare us, we look like grasshoppers. But Joshua and Caleb, look at what it says about Joshua and Caleb, verse 6 and Numbers 14. Two of the men who explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, said to all of the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored, it's a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey, but do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. So don't be, what is that next word? Afraid of them. Joshua is a man of faith. And do you know what the opposite of faith is? It's fear. It's, it, it, it's not even unbelief. It's fear. Twice in these, two, in these verses, we see, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let me tell you, the, the, those two million Israelites, they were afraid. And they took a vote we looked at last week. And they decided, you know what, we're not going into the land. And you know what kept them out of the promised land that God wanted to give them? It was their own fear. What kept them wandering in the, in the wilderness for 40 years? It was their own fear. A Bible teacher by the name of Beth Moore, this is how she defines fear. She says, fear is an emotional outburst of unbelief. I like that. An emotional outburst of unbelief. It's emotional. It's not intellectual. We know there's a lot of things we shouldn't be afraid of. Like, I'll give you some of our examples. All right. Our staff, our worship pastor, you know, he's all, you know, he's tatted up and he looks, you know, he's, so, he's such a buff dude. You get a spider around that guy, he will scream like a girl. All right. I hope he's not in here, all right? Um, I, I, I will tell you, Ryan's, uh, Ryan's, his is mice. He doesn't like mice, all right? Uh, sometimes we'll have mice come in our, 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 our office, and he's like, dude, I'm deuced out, you know? So I, all of us have something we're afraid of. I'm afraid of things, all right? You're afraid of things. My son, Jed, my, my middle son, Jed, our seven-year-old, uh, he came to me last week, and he says this, Dad... Uh, as I was putting him to bed, I kissed him on the forehead and I turned off his line. He says, Dad, I never told you this, but I'm afraid of the dark. I'm like, that's okay, buddy. I says, how come you never told that to me before? He says, I, I was afraid you were going to laugh at me. And how does that make me feel as a parent? It makes me feel like this big. And I looked at him and I actually I sat on his bed and I scooped him into my arms. I'm like, I'm not going to laugh at you. I'm not going to laugh at you. There's no, but you know, there's nothing to be afraid of, right? He says, yeah, I know. I know there's nothing to be afraid of. You see, he knew it in here. But fear is not an intellectual outburst of unbelief. It's an emotional outburst of unbelief. Right? 
And some of you, you have some things right now that when you, when you see something or when you hear something or when a circumstance happens or um, for you, uh, for others of you, it may be like a smell, something really bad happened in your past. And when you get around this smell or a certain sight or you just, it, your mind just takes you back to that place and you just start feeling that fear welling up. It's an emotional outburst of unbelief. And that is the opposite of what God wants us to experience with faith. Faith, and it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that is, it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Uh, um, I, I think it's so important that faith is the exact opposite of fear. And we're going to see this throughout the entire book of Joshua. In fact, if you would, Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to read nine verses in Joshua chapter 1. And listen, as I'm reading this, listen to what is repeated you got to remember this. Whatever's repeated is what the author is trying to get us to understand from this. This is what it says. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, my servant Moses is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. For, and I love this part right here. Um, sorry, I lost my place. I promise you that I, what I promised Moses, wherever you set your foot, you will be on the land that I have given you. That is awesome. From the Negev wilderness to the south, to the Lebanon mountains on the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. What a promise. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. Do you hear your heavenly father saying that to you today? I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. Be strong and courageous. Everybody say that. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all of the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. What's those next words? Be strong and very courageous. He says it again. Be careful to obey all of the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. You want to be a success? This is what it says. You, you, you look at God's word, you read it, you don't deviate from it, you do it. It's that simple. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. How long should we do it? Day and night. So that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. What does it say? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, we just read in there, what? Be strong and courageous. Now, let me tell you, if you're having to tell somebody three times, hey, you need to be strong and courageous, you know what that person's probably struggling with? Being strong and courageous, right? You, you don't tell somebody like Sylvester Stallone, who, you know, and, and hey, you need to be strong and courageous, Right? I mean, he's already strong and courageous. I think Joshua was shaking in his sandals. I really do. Because God is encouraging him. And I'm sure Joshua thinks, you know what? I can't do, do this. If Moses couldn't lead these two million people into the promised land, how in the world am I going to be able to do it? And he was able to do all of these miraculous signs and wonders. I'm not Moses. Let me tell you, for, and you need to hear this today. God is not calling you to be somebody that you're not. 
God wasn't calling Joshua to be Moses. God was calling Joshua to be Joshua and not Hosea. See, God was calling Joshua not to deliver his people. No, 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 no. God was calling Joshua to just show up and God would deliver his people. God was not asking Joshua to be Moses. And God is not asking you to be anybody else except you. You be you and you let God be God. And when those two things happen, God's going to show up and you're going to go, check out. It's going to be amazing. Right? Y'all awake? All right, cool. Now, let me show you sign language for courage. Because he's saying be strong and courageous. This is sign language for courage or bravery. This is it. Y'all do this with me. Put your hands right here and pull them out and bring them up. That's sign language for bravery. Let's do it again. All right. Now, if I could rewrite some sign language, let me tell you. What this is saying is we get our courage or our bravery from where? From within, right? But what God is telling us through the book of Joshua, this is how I, I feel like we need to get our courage and bravery. It's right here. You see, we're able to get courage from God. We're able to be brave because God is with us. In fact, some of you, if, you, if you've known the Bible, this is such a great story, but the, the, Jesus' disciples are in a boat and they're in a storm and Jesus isn't there. And Jesus starts walking on water towards them. And he says, take courage, for it is I. I like that. You see, what Jesus is saying is you can have courage because you can know that I am with you in this storm. Some of you, you need to hear that. God's not saying you can just get courage from within. No, 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 no. He says we can take courage from our Heavenly Father because He is with us wherever we go. And that's the promise that we read that God tells Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. That wherever you go, wherever you're going to put your foot, I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. I love that. Joshua was faithful and Joshua obeyed. I'm going to read the last two verses of Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you be able to prosper and succeed in all that you do. Let me tell you the secret of the Christian life. It's this simple. It's obedience. I know you don't like that and I don't like that. But it's that simple. If we want to be blessed by God, then we must hear what God wants us to do and then we're to do it. Right? James 1.22 says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. What he's saying is, don't be a fool. You know, you can show up on church on Sunday morning you can have a lot of listening. But if you don't go out and do it, you're a fool. That's what he's saying. You see, we're not blessed just by listening to God's word, but we, we're blessed by actually doing what it says. That's what it means to be faithful. The last one before we close, and it's this word, teachable. If we're going to replace ourselves and leave a lasting legacy, then we've got to find people who are willing to be taught. Teachable. When Moses was looking for someone to replace him, he saw in Joshua a teachable spirit. I love this. It says in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 and 11, this is the one verse 
that I really think I just I love about Joshua, and it's why I want to be like this dude. Listen to what he says. It was Moses' custom to set up the tent, known as the tent of meeting, far outside of the camp. Everyone who wanted to consult with the Lord would go there. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses. How? Face to face. As a man speaks to a friend. That's just so cool. All right, but look at this. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. But look at this. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, stayed behind in the tent of meeting. Joshua built a secret history with God. Joshua had a unique relationship with God. Joshua longed to hear God. But let me tell you, you and I can't hear God if we're not near God. So he stuck around and he stayed around and he just said, you know what? I just want to hang out here. I know Moses is gone and I just want to be near God. Some of us, you want to hear God speak in your everyday life about who you should date, what, where you should go to school, should you buy that truck or that car, should you get married, should you get divorced, should you get remarried. We have all of these questions. If we want to hear from God, then we have to be near God. It's that simple. We have to, be, we have, to have a teachable spirit. Solomon said it like this in Proverbs 4.23. He says, above all else, guard your heart. For that affects everything that you do. You know, if we're going to be successful in being a leader and replacing ourselves, then we're going to have to follow after God, God, excuse me, even when nobody's looking, even when everybody else is left, we have to say, you know what? It's just going to be me and God right now. So as we close today, I just want to say, are you willing to do the hard things it's going to take so that God can use you? Are you going to be available? Not ability, but availability. Are you willing to step out in faith even when your fear says, don't go there. Don't do it. Even when your friends say, you know what, I, don't, I think that's a, you know, I know God tells you to do that, but maybe, you know, you're getting kind of overboard on this whole Christian Bible thing, right? Man, and are you going to be teachable? Are you going to be moldable in his hands? That is really key. I I find three principles as we close. Just looking at these couple of chapters we've looked at today in Joshua. The first one is this. If we're going to go into the promises God has for us, sometimes good things have to die so that others can thrive. There may be some Moses things in your life that has to die so that some good Joshua things can start living. For some of you, that may be, it may not be bad things. They may be good things, but they're just not God things. For some of you students... You know, you may have went out uh, for, you know, for track and field, or you may have went and you got on the team. And there's nothing wrong with being on the team. But you're so heavenly involved in sports and being on the team that you don't have any time to read your Bible. You don't have any time to spend time with God. And you, you, and you know something's not right. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But God's saying, maybe that good thing needs to die so that I can do something amazing in your life. For others of you, it may be a relationship. You have a great relationship with a person. But every time you get around that person, you don't feel encouraged in God. You feel discouraged. And they just feel like you're dragging you down. And they may even they may be, even be a great person, great Christian, right? But it's just something when you and them get together, it's just like... Sometimes good things have to die so that God things can thrive. Second is this. If you want to have a lasting impact, we must think outside of ourselves and we have to replace ourselves. 
Let me tell you, as a church, I'm just going to be honest with you. We're only going to be as strong as our volunteers, and we, our volunteers, we have to replace ourselves. It's not just my job or Ryan's job. Or, it's all of our What if? If we have 100 volunteers here, and each one of those volunteers said, you know what, I'm willing to replace myself with one person. How many volunteers do we have then? Thank you, public school education. Bam, right? Right there, baby. All right? And what happens if you do that the next year? I don't know. I, I can't do it. It's crazy. I right? start getting into multiplication. Right? But I'm just telling you, it's that new math metric system. The third thing, if we want courage and victory, if we want to succeed, then we have got to obey. It's as simple as that. And let me tell you, the reason why I asked Josh to, to sing that hymn before we... Before I came out on stage, for 40 years the Israelites wandered in the wilderness because they chose not to obey. And we can say, man, how dumb, how stupid. But that happens to me all the time. Does it happen to you like that? Listen to these words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That same Something in all of us that if I, if I want to go God's way or I want to go my way, I kind of always want to go my way. I always kind of have that, I want to wander away from God. Let me tell you, we all have that within us. And what's going to counteract that is obedience. Is when God says for you to do something immediately you do it. You don't pray about doing it. You don't discuss about doing it. You immediately do it. You see, Moses, when God told him, hey, I want you to go and lead the Israelites out, what did he do? Let me pray about it. You know, I got some excuses. I don't talk, yet, yet, all this stuff. But we read in Joshua, and we're going to see all this through the next month. When God tells Joshua to do something, you know what Joshua does? He immediately does it. That's what God wants to have in our life. Let me tell you, there are some of you here, there are Christ followers here that you, God has, he has taken you out of bondage. You are out of your Egypt and you are right on the edge of your promised land. And in order for you to cross over, you're going to have to start putting your faith in God and letting that fear subside. And that only take, that only happens when we take a step, when we take a step, when we take a step and we trust God. All right. I want to see if I have any questions. Oh, wow, dude. A couple of questions. Um, if God doesn't need us, why are we here and what does he use us for? Great question. You know, when you became a Christ follower, God didn't immediately take you up into heaven. You see, God doesn't need you, but he wants to use you. And that's the reason why you and I are, are still here. So just by saying, when I tell you God doesn't need you, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use you. He does. But if you tell him no, he's going to find somebody else to say yes. All right. How do I know when to let go of what's holding me down when all of my prayers lead me to hang on? You know, if all of your prayers are leading you to hang on, then you keep on hanging on. But you especially hang on to God. You hang on to God because he will never let go of you. You remember where that promise in, in Joshua? How to handle non-believers um, uh, that are family and friends, so much so that they go on Facebook to spread their non-beliefs. You know, I would just encourage you, if you have non-believers who are family and friends, the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, You wives... I'm just going to read it. Um, it says, You wives who have unbelieving husbands, it says this, He says, You are to win them without a word. 
And what I mean by that, and what Peter means by this is, you know what, he doesn't want you nagging them into church. But you are to live your life in such a way so that they can be able to say, wow, there's something different about that person. And I want what they want. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Make sure to read it. All right, a couple, I got two more. Um, what's a good mental quote we can repeat to ourselves when we deal with difficult teens? Um, I'm not going to kill them. There's one. Uh, I don't know. Actually, let me think about that. I, I'm unsure about that. Let me, uh, let me think about that. All right. Um, so, um, all right. And then the last one, um, uh, would Moses live longer if he didn't strike the rock? I, I don't know. I know that the reason why Moses struck the rock, that, that's the reason that God didn't allow him to go into the promised land. But, you know, I don't know. That's a great question. When we get up into heaven, you and I can ask him. All right. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your love. And we thank you so much, God, that we can look at these guys like Moses and Joshua who were just like us. You know, many times when we think about them, God, we think of people that we can't relate to and because they were perfect, but they weren't. They struggled with spouses. They struggled with kids. They struggled with jobs. They struggled to make ends meet. And God, I just pray, Lord, that we would be able to take Joshua's, Joshua's stance on all of this, Lord, that we would show up and we would pray and that we would see you do the victory in our lives. For it's Jesus' great big name that we pray. Amen. You guys have a good morning. All right. Um, as uh, we got a few announcements we want to walk through with you guys. Uh, as we do that, they're going to be accepting our offering, uh, passing the bucket, so to speak. Uh, and we just want to take just a quick second and say thank you so much for giving. Every week that you give, every time that you give, you're partnering with us to further our mission and our vision here at One Church. Uh, every month, we take a portion of what you give and we give it away. Uh, we feel like that's part of what we're called to do. And so this month, uh, we're doing that with an organization called uh, Young Life. And uh, there's a guy right here on the front row. His name's Clifford. If you want to know anything about Young Life, he hopes that you will ask him all the questions in the world about it. He's very passionate about it. But one of the things they do that's so cool, and of course, obviously, my heart's a little close to it because I love students. But they go to where students are, and they invest in them. They build one-on-one relationships. Great organization. Also, uh, this uh, this week, they have a banquet they're putting on. And Luther and Chris both have a table. And if you'd like to go to that and hear more about how you can partner with them, uh, you can totally see either one of those guys and they will hook you up. I'm going. I know I can't wait. Uh, Cliff is so excited that I'm going to be there. He doesn't know what to do with himself. So um, that's a joke. Uh, Anyway, uh, we also have an Easter egg hunt coming on April 1st. Um, That is the first Sunday in April in case there was any confusion about that because it's on the first. Um, And uh, what we need from you guys, we need a lot of help. Number one, invite everybody. Any, Any person you know that has a child, their child will love to hunt Easter eggs. I promise you. It's an age-old tradition. It's, there's candy in them. They'll go for it. Um, so invite, invite, invite. And another thing is we need your help kind of covering some of that expense. Um, so we need some help with candy. And so if I've put the buckets out there. If I put them any more in the way, you would literally trip on them on your way out and on your way in. So if you've got candy, you guys have been doing a great job. We have